Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. around the globe. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig, and we're going to be focusing today's program on what some might consider to be the luxury products or ingredients, and others of us think of as staples. And we're going to start with, I don't know how anybody can cook without olive oil, but at any rate, we're going to be talking to Amelia Bilbaisi. It, it's olive oil company called Anzuri. And it is fine olive oil. I can't believe Amelia, our next guest, Amelia Bilbaisi, is actually in Jordan. Because the <laughs> line is clearer than if I were calling my neighbor in my next block. <laughs> oh, don't speak too soon, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyhow, you are representing um, this very interesting olive oil called Anzuri. Jordan was the the Fertile Crescent, right? That's correct. Many moons ago, I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, you don't hear much about um, the the olive oil production, or or a lot of the uh, the agricultural production, and it should be perfect, shouldn't it? Uh, yes, the climate is absolutely fantastic. Um, we are um, uh, similar to the southern Mediterranean climate. We're actually a bit warmer, um, so it's ideal for uh, olive trees. They thrive in this uh, region. Now, tell us about the company, Anzuri. Uh, well, Anzuri is a, a single-family estate. It was started uh, by my father um, about 12 years ago. And he spent many, many years researching uh, the olive tree and how he could really just produce the best extra virgin olive oil. Because as you said, Jordan wasn't on the radar internationally for olive oil. But in Jordan, it is uh, in the history, it's in the culture, it's in the food, it's in everything. It's a way of life. We use it not just for food, but we also use a lot of it for beauty products. Um, and that's just ingrained in the culture here. So he really dedicated all of his time into researching how he could do that. And uh, he sort of uh, grabbed our attention. And now as his children, we've taken that on board and Initially, we started by really wanting uh, to help him achieve this dream, uh, oh. and now it's sort of become an obsession for us as well. <laughs> and I have to say, as a, a daughter and as my father's only daughter, it's been the absolute um, joy of my life, really helping him realize that dream. Well, that's great. I mean, you were born and raised in the UK, though, right, in England? I was. Yes, I was. 
And how old were you when you went out to Jordan? Uh, I came when I was about 15, and then I left again when I was 17, and I lived all over the place. I lived in Washington, D.C., I lived in Dubai, <laughs> Qatar, um, and I went back to London again. And I came maybe three or four years ago and really just immersed myself in the business. And I love food. So it, was, it wasn't a hard sell for him to get me involved in the, the business oh, that's at all. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just think that Jordan sounds like heaven, to tell you the truth. I mean, the climate, <laughs> climate-wise. What would you say is distinctive? First of all, we start with... It's, it's a brand of, of olives that I didn't know. It, is it mm. common in, in um, grown, commonly grown, or is it some sort of um, a mystery olive breed? Well, there are, I mean, the data is a bit fuzzy, but there are hundreds, and they suspect thousands, of different types of olive cultivars or varieties throughout the world. Um, they haven't finished um, documenting all of them. But what people don't realize is, like wine, each olive tree and each cultivar has a different way that you treat it. So you press it differently, you grow it differently, you really? press it differently. Yeah, and everything you do to it um, really gives it its unique footprint. So each variety has a different aroma, it has a different smell. And we use it differently with pairing uh, with food and cooking. Um, so we're really trying to highlight that. We grow uh, four varieties, uh, Arbikina, Albasana, yeah. Koroniki. Um, we have a line called First Dawn, which is our first, half, uh, first harvest of Koroniki. And we also have uh, our sensory blend which is the familiar blend of the season. And we have a signature blend, which we feel is a versatile, everyday uh, oil. Um, Arbikina and Arbasana are very well-known varieties yes, growing exactly. from the same. And now they're in um, Australia and, and South America and, and California as well. But actually, Arbikina and Arbasana are originally from this region. So they do something very interesting now, which is DNA testing on trees. And they uh-huh. can trace Arbikina and Arbasana directly to the trees from this region. And most of the trees that grow in the Mediterranean, except Greece, can be linked back to the native trees from the Levant and the Middle East. You know, Greek olive oil is very different. It's... Um Pecant, um, I think, is the word that comes to my mind. Um, yes, I mean, I, can, I envision the color of it, uh, this brilliant green color, remember? Uh, we grow um, a Greek variety called Koroniki, and it's intensely complex. Um, yes. So it's completely different to our other varieties. Um, but I love it, and chefs seem to love it because they get that yeah, well. element of playfulness when they compare. Yeah, I, I used to have a, a friend of mine whose uh, husband is, she was married twice to, um, she was actually married five times, but two of her husbands <laughs> were Greek. <laughs> so I used to love having her bring me the uh, Greek olive oil. 
Um, yeah. and, and of course, my, my roots are in, in Sicily, and, and that olive oil is pretty astounding too. Um, yeah. But but yours, I mean, if you were going to uh, define, well, first of all, your top of the line one, which what's that one called again? Uh, the first dawn. Uh, the first dawn is a um, sort of a limited edition. It's what we do the first crop of the season, and that's purely from the Carniki olives. And that's we right. tend to pick them um, either very late at night or very early in the morning because everything you do to the olive from the moment you pluck it from the tree starts to break down the chemical composition in the olive. So you, oh, everything wow. you do from that point on from picking and then into the press uh, really determines the outcome uh, at the end and the quality of the oil. So that's the one we kind of um, take our time with at the beginning of the season, and it's always a joy to do. Now, somebody, somebody we, um, we actually did an olive oil tasting. You remember oh, fantastic. In, 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 in western Sicily. Right. Uh, it, it was very it was like the olive oil you're just describing it was very special yeah I mean um, when you're caring for all of these trees and you know everything you do from sort of the tree to the table affects your final outcome and you work a year tirelessly to safeguard that um, it, it, it you become obsessed I think that's not an understatement but you do become obsessed with uh, getting the most out of your one opportunity in the press um, you know, the, fu- so it's the, funny, the funny thing is and I, I, think, I think this is where the, pe- the people told us something that we had never realized before and that is that olives are fruit yes absolutely it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like they would be but apparently they are yeah, and the, the definition of olive oil is a fruit juice. So, I mean, I have clients who say, oh, you know, I've had this bottle for five years. And you think, what? <laughs> no, it's a fruit juice. You have 18 months to 24 months to consume it. But once you open it, really, you have a window of two months before all those beautiful aromas kind of evaporate and it gets a bit flat. Um, there's There's a lot about... Uh, extra virgin olive oil that consumers are just not aware of. I mean, you you seem to almost have a, a PhD doctorate in, in <laughs> olive oil. I mean, how long did it take? By I mean, you, if every single one is different, um, how how do you ever go around deciding on a, a specific course of of um, procedures and and, and uh, growing and harvesting and pressing the oil? Uh, well, we're quite um, lucky in the way that we set up the farm. I mean, I say lucky, but it was planned. Um, so we have, say we have these three varieties, Arbukina, Arbusana, and Karaniki. We have planted them in plots by the age of the tree. So our pressing is staggered. So when each one matures, we know we're ready for it. So it's not like we have a huge field and they're all maturing at the same time. We've staggered the growth 
So each picking is done at the optimal time. Well, you said um, in, in some of the literature on your website that there's a great deal of significance to the terroir. And what mm. characteristics um, do you attribute to the terroir? Um, I mean, the terroir is, is, I don't want to say everything, but it has huge significance. Um, so with the terroir, that's about your soil, uh, it's about the climate. I mean, olive trees are very sensitive beings, so it's even the altitude above sea level at which your trees are planted has an effect on them. The type of soil, how much you irrigate it. Um, so our terroir is, we think, is optimal. Um, we have a very warm climate, which our olives love. Um, our arbequina tastes completely different to an arbequina from southern Spain, simply because of our soil and our climate is hotter. Um, and that does several things. And one of the things it does is um, arbequina is known as a mild oil. And when we refer to it as a mild oil, we're talking about the polyphenols in the oil. And the polyphenols are all those health benefits. So um, it protects against Alzheimer's, heart disease, type 2 diabetes. I mean, the research is clear on that. That's not wishful thinking by producers. I mean, it's blindingly obvious. I hate the word superfood, but really there is no other description for it. Uh So our arbequina is intensely high in polyphenols. Um, so much so that someone from the IOC in Spain heard about it and asked us to send them the chemical analysis because they'd never seen an arbequina with that many polyphenols in it. So we do everything. We live by the motto of uh, extra virgin olive oil is a fruit juice. Don't add anything to it and don't take anything away from it. So every step of the way we're preserving it. Mother Nature knows best. So we work within her parameters to really get the best out of our extra virgin olive oil. Now it must be must be fairly difficult, surely, to to get organised and export olive oil from a place that's kind of remote. How how did you manage to do that? Um, Well, we chose the location specifically because it was remote. We didn't want to be surrounded by any other farms because we didn't want to cross contamination from diseases. We wanted somewhere with natural water, which is what it had. We wanted a large expanse so we could expand as we saw fit. And we wanted enough space. Um, We have five lakes. Um, so we're now on um, a path for birds that are migrating, so we get those lovely visitors all year round. Yeah. Um, uh, it really is an oasis. Um, logistically, uh, yes, it can be difficult, but we, I, I guess you could call us control freaks. We like to control the atmosphere um, because quality really is everything, and uh, environment is very important. And I know um, sustainability is a word that's thrown around a lot, but it is vastly important with the climate changing. Uh, yeah, I was just about is, to ask you about yeah. that. Is you seem to be, on, even in your packaging, concerned with uh, the whole um, sustainability 
issue in regenerative farming and that sort of thing. Absolutely. I mean, we um, because we do control the whole value uh, chain almost from tree to table or from tree to table, actually, we um, try and introduce sustainability wherever we can. So maybe for the end customer in the state, it's the fact that we're using tin, which is the most recyclable material. Um, our outer packaging for our discovery sets is made from um, mushrooms. So, you know, we really try and uh, think about the environment because we, the more we, we do and the more we research, if you don't take into consideration the environment, you won't have quality. Uh, right. And, you know, we're, we are in this for the long run. We're passionate about it. We're obsessed with it. And, uh, you know, you, you have to respect Mother Nature and work within her parameters. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a central core for us. Well, no, you you your product is uh, your oil are, is in great demand by chefs. Why do you think <laughs> it appeals to chefs so much? Um, I mean, I like to say chefs, uh, home chefs, and professional chefs alike, um, and. It's fantastic that uh, chefs love our oil. I think it gives them um, the excuse to play with flavor combinations because um, olive oil really has not um, been given, um, I don't want to say the props that it should, but it's not held in the regard that it should be. And most of us use it um, the first thing we use is olive oil, and the last thing we use is olive oil. So it has this ability to elevate a dish. And I think chefs really feel that they can play and work within um, their creative ability with these different varieties and these different blends that we do. But I hope the home chef can do that as well. And, and yeah, well, this home chef, namely Peter, <laughs> Used it in an octopus dish. <laughs> oh, fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> it held up very well to a very strong flavor uh, profile of, of, of octopus uh, with uh, the um, pimenton and uh, uh, green peppers and onions and potatoes. Oh, oh that's <laughs> wonderful. Good. I mean, we do, we do give certain pairing guidelines, and after I've gone through them with clients and chefs, I then say, but just play. <laughs> you know, it, it's about personal taste and preference. Um, you know, so just have fun with it. Right. Well, now, um, how is, is, which country is the biggest importer of, of, of your oils? Is it the U.S.? Um, we're doing a lot of um, business in the U.S. at the moment. Um, we had a very large supply going to Milk Street in Boston. We also supply uh, Misfit Market, which I think is in New York. Um, and again, that's on the sustainability angle because, you know, um, tins that, you know, have a smudge or a, a, a dent in it, you know, they should be loved as well but we wanted to create an avenue for people that can overlook that and still enjoy the oil. But, yeah, um, the U.S., uh, Canada, Australia, uh, obviously the U.K., 
um, we're in Selfridges and um, uh, by the end of this year we'll be in one of the most recognized grocery establishments in the UK which I can't name because it's not finalized yet oh okay good on you probably could could be spelled Sainsbury yeah um, a bit higher up than that. <laughs> oh we're in about 80 retail outlets in the States as well. So uh, the, well, the States is a market. So it, that, there's um, no problem in, in like individuals, individual chefs, individual home cooks, no problem getting this. What's the best um, approach to uh, uh, getting the... Uh, the product, um, your product. I mean, you can order direct from us online at johnburyoliveoil.com. Uh, we're in 80 retail outlets in the States, a lot of bakeries, gift shops, and restaurants. And uh, obviously, we're in, we'll be in Fancy Foods in New York from the 12th to the 14th of June, where I will be there as in my capacity as a familiar and master miller to answer any geeky questions about olive oil, which I love. (laughs) Um, I'm sure you're good at it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, you're having such a great time. I'm I'm really happy for you. (laughs) And, um, yeah, and um, do you um, have orders online as well or from your website? Yeah, yeah, direct from the website. Is there a store finder on your website? Um, I don't think at the moment that it will be added soon in the future. Okay. But we can always direct any inquiries. Well, uh, Amelia, you've been an absolute delight. And uh, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, and uh, listeners, if you want a quality olive oil, and it's very important these days because the olive oil industry uh, is probably one of the most corrupt niches in specialty foods. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, and and you can trust this particular one. And it, yeah, it, it's I mean, spelled it's spelled O N S U R I olive oil. And uh, make a note of that and, and check it out and um and pretty soon you'll have a store finder as well and you can order it online. Well Amelia, as I said, you've been a delight and I really um I, I hope you continue having such a good time with this. Thank you so much. I mean, I always say anyone that's involved with food such as yourself, you always meet lovely people through food. So it was really yeah, a isn't that true? Thing to you. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another good uh, good thing is um, chocolatiers are very good people too. How could they not be? <laughs> um, I might say that you may have noticed that we're having a lot of producers, specialty food producers, and I think that we can say this is almost courtesy of the Fancy Food Show in New York City, because this is why all these people were in New York. Next, we're going to be talking to Michael McCollin from Garcia de la Cruz Olive Oil, which is Fine, 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 extra virgin, superb. I'm talking to Michael McCowan, and uh, which doesn't sound like a Spanish name, but his product, uh, he's uh, uh, directing the sales for in the U.S., is Spanish olive oil, a company called Garcia de la Cruz. Is that correct? 
Very good, Dan. Yes. <laughs> I'm reading it. Pronunciation. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, now I'm, when we were talking beforehand, you, you're not in Spain. You're in Portland, Oregon. Although you're coming uh, nearer to us for the fancy food show. Um, That's correct. Yeah. But you're from Portland, Oregon, which happens to be one of my favorite cities. <laughs> Although Great they've had a bad town. spell, haven't they? Yes, they have. Uh, need need to get a little work done there to uh-huh. upgrade the image again. But yes, it's a wonderful town. Great foodie town. Yes. Um, wonderful restaurants. I mean, obviously James Beard. Yes, yeah. Yeah, we've we've um, covered some of the food festivals there. And um, yeah, and, and particularly um, the, what was it called Wild for Game. Do you know about that one? I don't actually know. It, it's it's a, a company that has specialty meats, wild meats. Anyhow, I don't know if they still have that or not. We know a lot of the chefs from that area, um, and we're big fans of Oregon wine. Oh, so. But we're going to be talking about olive oil, and I mentioned when we were talking before that people don't always realize that Spain, I mean, they always think Italy for olive oil, but Spain is by far the world's largest olive oil producer, correct? That is correct, Diane. And actually, the exact number is somewhere over 50% each year of the world's olive oil is produced by Spain. One fact. Uh, one fact is interesting. The 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 forest, the olive 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 grove forest, if you will, of Spain, is the largest man-made forest in the world. Yeah, you you can you can drive through it like all day. <laughs> yes, Be- quite beautiful. I mean, we we, we 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 used to visit with friends who lived in the extreme south of Spain, near near Malaga. And driving to get there was a was a three hour job, and it was three hours of olive trees to the right and olive trees to the left, and yeah. olive trees behind and olive trees ahead. So you kind of get the message. <laughs> yes. If, yes, you do. And yes, if you, you know, do. If you know beautiful the, land. And if you know the code, look look at your big tin of olive oil, and it will say packed in Luca. But it won't say what it won't say is grown in Spain. <laughs> That's very true. Um, a lot of the a lot of the Italian oil is, is Spanish oil. Um, but you know they they're getting the regulations are getting much much more stringent in the U.S. in terms of how you have to um, indicate where the oil was first produced or where it's coming from, and um, so that that's a good thing for the consumer. Now you're in you're in the food chain, supplying olive oil to to customers who buy it in supermarkets and in that's correct, Peter. Food, yes, food establishments um, of all kinds, and 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 you you come to us directly with the recommendation from Melissa's, right, sweetheart? Yes. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, Melissa's Products is a nice, uh, we, we've done some nice events together, and uh, they've been a really wonderful supporter of us. So we were very, very, uh, very pleased for, to, to know them. Yeah, well, we regularly um, interview um, their sales director. Um, and, uh, yeah, and um, <laughs> I know you're doing this.
special event with with them as well. And they they get really great product. And and what yes, are you going to do? do yeah. You're going to do it, dip your serve it with their their veggies and your olive oil, or what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, good good question. We just completed a um, one event in in LA with them for the for the um, about a month ago. And, you know, that what we do is we support each other, and Robert was actually there at that event. Um, and we're doing Robert's one Robert's York- wonderful. He's his friend at this point. We've done him for so long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a character, all right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this, this week we're doing one here in New York. He's not actually going to be here, but uh, he's been so kind to, to lend his name and also his support to the event. And, yeah, they, they, uh, we do use some of their vegetables in whatever dishes we're making. Um, of course, I see. But it's not you're just not just having olive oil, but you dip the raw zucchini in or something. <laughs> or are you? <laughs> yeah, and you guys, you you two know very well what olive oil can be used in everything. It's well beyond drizzling and dipping. Um, but a lot of they're, the, they're making it into food. ice cream now. Do you do Absolutely. ice cream? <laughs> Cakes, desserts, ice creams, um, anything. I mean, olive oil is, is so good. The, one of the major myths is you can't cook with olive oil, and that's just absurd. Um, it has a very, very high smoke point, and yeah. it actually infuses the products. You know, if you're if you're doing vegetables or anything, it's, it, it infuses the, that product with the antioxidants or the polyphenols that are so good for you. Yes, they are. So it, just, it just makes the it just makes the dish healthier. Now, where exactly do, do you grow your olives? What part of Spain do they come from? Yeah, great question, Ann. Um, so we're in the Montes de Toledo area. It's just it's kind of triangulated between Madrid and um, Toledo. And if oh, you, okay. you're a little, I know you're a literary. Um, Peter, um, it's actually the castle and the windmills that Cervantes wrote about for Don Quixote is literally <laughs> yeah, we, right we, there uh, on I can remember I can remember driving past those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those, we, we, those overlook our those overlook our groves. Oh, there you oh, go. Okay. Well, I know exactly where you are. Then, no, no, interesting. Interestingly enough, somewhere close somewhere close to there is a lot of the production of saffron. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Consuguero. Cons, I'm, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it correctly. Consuguero is one of the largest saffron producers in the world, yes. Now, it, interestingly enough, and, and the, source, the source is even more unusual, um, we, we, we met someone telephonically who had a company called Wines of Spain. But oh, told, right. But, but, but he told us about this particular area where they do something unusual to produce the oil from the olives. Yeah, that was southeast, wasn't it? No, sort of bottom right-hand side. What they do is they put put the olives in a pit in the ground and then they load uh, heavy stones on the olive and the weight of the stones breaks the olive and releases the juice. Mm-hmm. And, and it's called uh, sweet. I want to, what's it called? I can't remember what it's called. It's, 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 it's the name of a wine, and it's tears of something or other. A oh, La Corona Christi, is it? No, that's something different. 
It's tears. Well, very similar to the right. old way that they used to use the stones yeah. to mill is the oil. Is it the old way? The okay. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing. nothing yeah. Interesting. In so Garcia de la Cruz, it's the interest, one of the interesting things of Garcia de la Cruz is, first of all, we're celebrating our 150th anniversary this year. Wow. Wow. Five, gen, five generations of the same family have owned this business. The first three were run by women. So you can imagine in that day and time, a woman CEO, if you will, of an olive oil company, when they couldn't drive, couldn't have a bank account, <laughs> had oh, no dear. status whatsoever, yet uh, they ran this they ran this company for three generations. Jeez, and yeah, um, very very good. It, so and today, and today, two brothers um, own it. Same family. Same family, and they're oh, uh, grooming the sixth generation because both of them have two children that are oh, uh, growing up fast. <laughs> so yeah, it's really really quite interesting. So um what what do you tell us the backstory? I mean, what what started this whole business? Yeah, that's that's really it. I mean, it's a uh it's a family generated business. The uh, the first woman that that started it had a mill in the center of the village. Um, okay. just a stone and a and a, you know, and a couple donkeys to walk around the stone and crush the olives. It wasn't yeah. until the second or third generation that they moved the mill to the current location outside of town, and uh, obviously it's quite modern today. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they have they have groves that are that are over 500 years old. The trees. Wow. Haven't they? Have they call them fincas, right? Yes, correct. Fincas. And uh, it does. The, the area also does grow wine, so it's it's an interesting. There's a, there you can see you pass a vineyard, then you pass a an olive grove. Wow! So the so the yeah the so the families um, split the business in two, and um, the one brother runs the operation in Spain. The other brother moved his whole family to the USA just to build the business here. Oh no, kidding! Okay, so he's in so he's in Oregon too. Huh? No, actually, he lives in North Carolina. <laughs> it would be, would be, he, he started out in Manhattan, but um, decided to move to, since he has the, with the family. He wanted to have the children have a little more of uh, more space and more more room, if you will. So he moved to North Carolina about a year ago. Well, so what does he do? Uh, what part of the business does he handle? Yeah, he he's actually the one that's um, the innovator of the business, if you will. Those beautiful bottles that you have in front of you are his design. Yeah. And what he did is he, he looked at all the, quote-unquote, ugly brown bottles and green bottles on the shelves of all yeah. of them and said, we can do this differently. And so he looked around uh, the Mediterranean, and, and, and you've, you've traveled, so you know the Mediterranean tile designs that you see all over. Yeah, right, right. That's what it reminded me of. That's exactly where those uh, the bottles were are designed from, and um, we have we have several individual varietals that have an individual tile, or you know you've got the Master Miller are there, which is our basically our signature bottle with the beautiful Mediterranean tile design, and so that's his, that's him. He's the innovator. He comes up with these ideas. The next one that we're going to do real large is all of tourism. We're going to take people to Spain and that want to learn more about Spain in general and olive oil and production and and uh, and uses 
and how to cook with it, etc. So that's well, our next venture. So it'll be a, a, an expansion in that direction of your business. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to also probably bring other products that um, under that same brand that that makes sense for the American consumer. Tell me consumer. about the products. Which ones? There's well, so many great things. Well, the first ones would be all of them. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we just interviewed somebody who's doing some special kind of processing, like limited processing of olives in Greece. And the dis- the difference is amazing. I mean, there's no cooking going on. There's none of that. Um, the the brining with lye, and, I mean, none of that stuff. And it's so much fresher. I mean, do you do? Um, will, will you be doing just the traditional um, olives or what? Well, it's still a little young in its process, right? So we haven't ever we don't have everything um, in place yet. So I'd really rather not go there if you don't mind, okay. because it's it's just not ready for prime time yet. Okay, very good. Um, tell us a little bit about the the flavor. The diff- how, there's a, a world full of olive oils. And as I told you, we just interviewed some maker in Jordan. <laughs> um, what is different about yours? What makes your um, distinctive, uh, your product distinctive in the whole broad range of olive oils? Yeah, very good, very good question. Um, well, let me go back just one step first and, uh, and talk about how olive oil is, is derived then from, from okay. the different olives. So all olives go through the same metamorphosis. They start out green, they turn red, and they ultimately turn black. As that metamorphosis continues, more and more oil is generated out of that oil, out of that, out of that olive. So if you if you harvest your oil, your olives when they're very young and green, it takes about three times the amount of olives to make the same amount of olive oil as as if you harvested it when it's black or red. Mm-hmm. And each iteration of that oil, it loses some of its healthy properties, the polyphenols, the um, antioxidants that are in olives, that are good things in olive oil. So what we try to do is harvest at the right time for our oils. So we we use um, many, many green olives so that we get the very healthy, that bitter taste in the back of your throat when you have a good olive oil. And then we mix it with some of the um, red and some of the black to try to get the Right texture for the American palate for if we're bringing it to America. So the American palate is a very smooth. They want a smooth oil. They want a very uh, uh, velvety feeling oil in their mouth, and that's what we try to achieve with the the, the one that we sent you, the Master Miller product with the beautiful tile design. The other one, the early early harvest, the beautiful rose with the pictures of the flowers on it is the absolute earliest harvest oil you can get. So very early in October in the Northern Hemisphere is when the when the first harvest begins. And that's when we harvest that oil. So that oil is a very, very distinct um, grassy tomato peel, uh, green tomato smell, feel, taste. And so what distinguishes our oils is they're organic, first of all. 
and we try to blend them for the audience that we're uh, um, selling. Well, is to. America, the U.S., your biggest market? It's a good question. It is the biggest market for organic olive oil, but Japan is our largest market right now. We're the largest producer of Spanish oil to Japan, but the U.S. is our second largest already, and we've only been here three years. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's given California all of oil a run for its money, huh? <laughs> <laughs> We're trying. Um, you know, you know that's, the, the, the culture here isn't quite, quite there yet. I mean, you talk about the Mediterranean where in Greece and Italy and Spain, they, they drink or, or intake 12, 11, 12, 13 liters of olive oil per person per year. In the U.S., it's less than one. Oh, so yeah. we have a huge, huge opportunity yeah, to outside, grow the market uh, here. Now, isn't, isn't there a, an oil sort of that's sort of what's left after you crushed and so on, and it goes in particular to Japan? I'm not familiar with that. If there is, no. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not thinking correctly. What do you, I don't You're understand you. what we're talking about. I thought there was there was a sort of like a resid, there was like a residual oil that wasn't very good, but it was inexpensive, and the Japanese in particular liked the price. Really, I, don't I can't remember that. what it, I can't remember what it's called. I'm not I'll, familiar. I'll, 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 I'll look it up between now and tomorrow. One, one other thing that one other thing that makes us unique or tries to make us unique and stand out is we really, really are all about sustainability. We have a very, very um, carbon-free footprint of everything we do. We even use the pits of the olive to heat the plant in the winter. That's good. Yeah, I, I read some of your literature, or else it was on your website. I read about your dedication to environmental issues as well. Yeah, yeah, we've been recognized very much. As a matter of fact, we won last year in Spain. We won the um, best food company in Spain. And just to give you some sense of what that meant, that's from like their um, FDA. And Nestle won it the year before, so that tells you how distinguished that award might be. And it was based really, truly, on a lot of our sustainability practices, because um, they're starting to, we're starting to have people around the world, if you will, come and see what we're doing in terms of sustainability for their olive groves as well. And Yale University here uses us as the their plank for sustainability in their oh, olive yeah. oil institute. Huh. Amazing. Um, and, and and it's that old. It's just amazing. I mean, is the attention to sustainability is it always part of the company philosophy, or is it um, on trend? Um, that's a great question, Ann. Yeah, we've been probably very at the forefront of this. They've we've been using organic techniques for well over ten years, and truly sustainable methods for well over seven or eight years. So it's been a it's been a you know a short term in terms of the longevity of the company, but in terms of uh, what the practices around the world, we're we're well advanced. Interesting. Well, you know, it seems to me that you have this long history 
and backstory and whatnot. But it seems to me, on the timeline, you're just about to blossom, you know? Well, we certainly hope so. We're doing our best. And uh, we have some very, very strong retailers in the U.S., including the likes of Whole Foods, Giant, Lowe's, Myers. Um, that have taken the product on, and obviously we're in Amazon. So um, we're trying to, you know, approach the market in the best way we can to, to, you know, achieve economic success, but also educate the market and educate the consumer on why they should be using olive oil instead of seed oil. Yeah, that's a big part of it all. Yeah, it's a very big part of marketing these days. Absolutely. Everybody in this industry is finally getting together. Even California, even the California people are, are grudgingly acknowledging that, you know, it's about education now. And uh, and so all the producers are really working towards that same goal, to educate the consumer as to why they should be replacing some of their seed oils and certainly butter with olive oil. Yeah, no, um the California olive oil industry is really a great case study. <laughs> um, yeah, that's been a struggle uh, for identity. Um, it's a very complicated story. Were, were you involved with um, any, any other olive oil before taking this position? Good question. Uh, no, actually, I came from the high-tech industry. But the one, the common, the common denominator there was the way that the product is distributed. It's very, very similar from distributor to, from manufacturer to distributor to retailer to consumer. So, I understood the model very well, and so that made it a little easier to, to, to get into the industry. And then the owner of this company is, is a really, really good teacher, an excellent. Mm-hmm an excellent teacher of the trade. He, he, he worked in it from his, from when he's a little boy and his father made him do every bad job there was in the, in the industry. So he, he, he started with picking the olives to, um, to taking the, you know, making sure that the, um, fertilizer is ready and fertilizing the, the olives and milling them and everything. So he understood and understands the industry extremely well. He's, he's very well respected in the in the field. Oh, great! Now, now, true, true, true or not, in order to get the olives off the tree, you have to shake it. <laughs> yeah, you do have to shake it. Um, you either have to beat it off with with sticks, which they still do, or you know, okay. the more modern method is to shake the tree. Yeah, well, if you if you, they, if you beat it off with a stick, you bruise the olives. You do a little bit. You, they, they have techniques that they uh, use to, to limit that, of course. Uh, In Italy, they put the sheaths under the, the trees and shake them. Yes, it's exactly right. Exactly the same method. <laughs> Large net. It seems tree rather tree primitive, tree. doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a uh, it's an art. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of the machines that they've devised for producing food stuff, especially specialty food stuff, is kind of amazing. I don't know how they, who was it? There was something, some machine that they discovered could could pick and wrap and everything on one, one machine movement. Rather, we interviewed somebody from California 
that did this. I'm sure we did, but I don't. I am not so sure. I can't remember who. Yeah, this is. <laughs> this is. You know, we're halfway through our 19th year of doing this. So <laughs> we've interviewed a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, in the olive, there there is there is a movement. Um, in, in growing olives, the traditional method was that the trees were about 30 feet apart. That's a long, long, lot of, lot of distance of, between trees, right? Uh-huh. So that was to allow the olives to fall to the ground properly and net them and, and produce them. There's, a, there's two new methods called intensive and super intensive. Mm-hmm. Intensive, um, you plant a tree between those traditional ones. So you're going to get about twice the production ultimately. And super intensive is you put them right next to each other. Oh, wow. And then the, machi- the machines, certain certain types of olives, uh, Piquau in particular, is um, you, can, you have a machine that goes over top of the olive trees and picks the olives that way in the super intensive method. And right. California is moving to that pretty – distinctly because obviously land for one thing and water for another um but also for the 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 technique of being able to pick them automatically so it has advantages some disadvantages are if you get disease you're you're spread spread very quickly yeah yeah exactly the thing i always loved about the spaniards is we always thought that the worst thing you could do is be a um a, a grape uh, a, a, in spain because <laughs> to get the sugar concentration they wanted and they wouldn't water no irrigation <laughs> it was rocky unweeded soil <laughs> it was really a struggle to to grow if you were a grape in spain <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think I, I think I have the answer to the question you asked. What are those nuts that are, that are grown in mostly in Hawaii, but they're also grown in Australia? Macadamia. Macadamia, macadamia nuts. The, the people you're thinking of were the people who had the macadamia nut plantation, and they invented a machine that would that would pick the nuts off the ground. Oh yeah. Pop them, pop and pop them into a something falling behind, so that it made it much more efficient to be able. Or, to Oregon could use that for their hazelnuts. Yeah. Oh yeah, hazelnuts. I love hazelnuts. I I can't stand having to skin them. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, anyhow, so basically on your website, is there any indication of how, what stores you have, a, a store indicator, or how people can actually access the, your rum product? Yeah, um, I think we do a decent job of that. We do a decent job of social media, so we're out there. Um, but, yes, we have the store locators, um, who, we, who we are in with the retailers. And, of course, Amazon is always there as the is a backup if you if needed. Okay. And the website is www.garciadelacruzoliveoil.com. See Garcia. It's a, it's a mouthful. Okay. De La Cruz, just the name of the company. De La Cruz. Cruz, olive oil.com. Olive 
oil.com goddess. All you right, Michael McAllen, great to talk to you. And you uh, as well. Thanks for being a great spokesperson for your company. Well, thank you. And thank you for the time and thank you for your thank for all the good work you guys do um, daily and weekly to further the the food business in this country. It's oh, it's important. It's really important. Very important. Very important. Nutrition is one of the least <laughs> followed um, requirements to stay healthy in this country. The doctors don't even know it. There's so many doctors at our gym that don't know the first thing about nutrition. <laughs> so, well, all right, um, Michael, um, and enjoy your uh, jaunt through the fancy food show. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Yeah, take comfortable shoes. <laughs> yes. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, we're going to look at our third ingredient, which, as I said, some view as um, luxury of some sort. I view it as elemental. You have no idea how much uh, truffle products do at breakfast time. So we're going to be talking to Veronica Montanaro, who's uh, here from Italy in New York City, um, to talk to us about her company and their products Tartuflange, um, which is an Italian truffle company. Yeah, well, we're going to be talking to Veronica Montanaro, um, Montanaro um, from a, a, an Italian company called uh, Tartuflange, Correct. right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and, and I think you l- usually live in Alba, Italia, but you are currently in New York for the Fancy Food Show. Is that all correct? Exactly, exactly. We are here in New York. Tomorrow is the setup of the booth, and then we will uh, present our new products at the Fancy Food Show. Is this your first time at the Fancy Food Show? Actually not. We have been uh, exhibiting for... uh, 25 years already. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and the first uh, um, award we get was in um, back to the 1990s where we presented the first truffle pasta ever produced in the world. Our, our tagliolini with truffle uh, were presented in New York and uh, they get the award for the innovation. It was really the first time uh, the truffle pasta was on the market. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, we we follow truffles. I mean, we love truffles, but because it's such an interesting marketplace, I mean, it's um, it's tricky. I mean, you have to be very clever to to hold your own in the truffle market. I think. Do you agree? Yes, yes. So it's it's a very specific, peculiar market. We are a truffle uh, company, a family business, and we are related to uh, more than 300 truffle hunters because we need truffle hunters to get the truffles. So we collect from truffles from south of Piemonte region, 
We are based in Alba, the capital of the white truffle, so Piemonte region, northwest of Italy. And in south of Piemonte, we have this uh, specific uh, land, uh, which is called Lange. It's a region uh, very famous for the white truffle uh, growing and also for the, the wines like Parolo, Barbaresco and Nebbiolo wines. Well, uh, I don't know. It's... What, how did you start with this business? Well, um, the family ran a restaurant back in the 1968, uh, so we opened a restaurant in Alba, which was specialized in truffle and uh, porcini mushroom recipes at the time. So starting from serving the truffles to the customers and also to the first uh, tourists, that came in Alba. Alba is a very famous place worldwide. So um, the family started proposing truffle recipes and also harvesting from truffle hunters from the region. And uh, the restaurant became so famous that uh, we started being like uh, um, a truffle, so truffle dealers and also supplying the other truffle, uh, uh, the other restaurant in the area. So starting from that time, uh, the restaurant was run from 1968 to the, to the 80s. And then we decided to go into the truffle business, which was starting at the time. And so we invented the truffle pasta and we started proposing the first truffle recipe, uh, sauces, condiments uh, to the market. So we have been well, the, the truffle pasta is magnificent. And... Um, I also added the the powder, the truffle powder you sent yes. to spike yes. the flavor. Yeah, very, very wonderful. Now, um, it, people's understanding of truffles uh, a little hazy. Um, how would you describe a truffle? Well, truffle is first of all a mushroom. So it's a, mush- it's a mushroom that grows underground. It, is, it belongs to the mushroom family, so it's not like a potato. So uh, growing underground, it, has, it needs some uh, specific trees in order to, to grow. So specifically uh, oak trees, hazelnut trees, uh, linden trees, hornbeam, for example, that we have in Piemonte are the best truff, uh, trees for the truffle growing. Truffle grows in symbiosis with this specific tree attached to their roots. So uh, it gets uh, water and also mineral salt and or uh, the elements it needs to, to grow from the trees. Um, in three weeks, more or less, it's ready. And when it's uh, mature, it starts smelling. That's why we are able to find it. And we find the truffle through the dogs because they have a good nose and uh, yeah. and they can they used they can to use the pigs. They used well, to use pigs, yeah. but, not, but they, the pigs used to eat the truffles, right? <laughs> exactly. So not in Piemonte. Uh, usually we uh, it was like uh, in Tuscany mainly, but uh, pigs are not used any longer because uh, it's too difficult to train a, a pig. But of course, <laughs> as they start. Uh, uh, seeing the first time that the whiteboard were eating truffles, and it's still today, whiteboards, uh, they, they love truffles, 
so they thought it was easier to 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 train a pig because it's like uh, uh, the the wild boar cousin, and so uh, they start with the pigs in the past. But today we use uh, dogs, and usually hunting dogs uh, are very good for the good nose, the very sensible nose they have. Do you use do you hunt for the wild truffles, or do you inoculate your trees? So we have uh, truffle woodland uh, that we own in Piemonte, and we have started in the last uh, 20 years buying uh, forests in order to clean them, to protect them, because we live in a region where the wine economy is very important. So in, starting from the 80s, when the, the wine business uh, starting to grow worldwide of course many trees were cut in order to leave space oh, yeah. for the, the vineyards and so in the last 20 years our family start buying truffle woodlands or uh, simple forests that were transformed into truffle woodlands uh, by putting the right trees, by having uh, specific distances between one tree and the other, and one, by making also some agricultural and agronomic uh, specific uh, activities during the years in order to enhance the truffle growing. It's not like cultivating mm, potatoes, for example. Truffle right. is always a wide product, but with some specific agronomic uh, activities, you can enhance the truffle growing in, in a good place. And this is what no, we are doing we, now. We've, we've checked out a number of truffle regions, including uh, France, Australia, sure. which is sure. really interesting, um, yes. and Oregon, which, I mean, I, never, I didn't get it. Oregon. I mean, not my favorite truffles. <laughs> but, yes. Um, Alba is strongest in the summer truffles, the white truffles, right? So, yes. So, Alba is famous for the white truffle, which is called in a Latin name uh, Tuber Magnatum Pico, and which is also the, the most precious truffle variety in the world. Uh, Alba is famous because we started uh, back in the past in order to, to make a, a great promotion of this product. And it's also because it's considered for the specific features of the terroir, so of the, of the place where we live, of the landscape, the best truffle variety in the world because of the organolectic features and uh, the bouquet, what we call bouquet, so uh, a mix of yep. different uh, truffle scents that uh, makes uh, our truffle in Piemonte special. But we are not only dealing with the white varieties, we also have the black varieties, the same that grows in yeah. France, for example, so the black winter truffle, which is very, very famous worldwide, and it's also the one cultivated now in Australia which is quite uh, a recent business, but in Australia they started some years ago to, to grow uh, black winter truffle. Now, we we visited um, truffle growers in Australia, and uh, we visited in Tasmania and yes. in Western Australia. Yes. And, um, and uh, we, we learned that uh, there are a, a number of false claims in in the truffle industry, um, we we talked to a professor in mm -hmm. Western Australia that um, helped us figure out 
what was true and what was not true with some of the people we interviewed. Um, Now, one of the things that has come up in the truffle industry is that things such as uh, truffle salt or truffle oil Mm -hmm. um, may not have truffles in them at all. They may just be um, a chemical compound. Um, But but you've uh, your marketing materials specify that yours there's real truffles in it, right? Exactly. So uh, there's a yes. As you mentioned, there's a big confusion on the market because it's a very specific product, and also because in the especially in the past, uh, as people were not so so they didn't know about the truffles, many bad things were uh, were made about mixing truffle different truffle uh, varieties. You have to imagine that. So in nature, we have hundreds of truffle varieties. For example, in Italy, we are allowed to to work with, so, so to cultivate and and select and resell only uh, four of them, the most precious ones. The other ones have no flavor at all, or a very a, a very strong but not pleasant flavor, for example. And those are not considered in into the law. In, and they have not have been categorized as a variety we cannot use. We are not allowed to use. But in the past, uh, very few laws were, were made specifically for the truffle uh, business. And so many companies, they start uh, mixing also different varieties with less value uh, added to the truffle product, not declaring them on the label. So, of course, what we say, what we say is, uh, first of all, truffle is always a matter of trust. So you need to trust the company because we are the truffle selector and so we can guarantee the origin of the product and also the, the, the food process, which is behind the transformation of the, of the product. Uh, second, you have to read the label because uh, in the label you find all information you need in order to understand if the product it doesn't contain any truffle. It exactly. only fuse, for example, for example. And also, if you read the varieties, you can the Latin name of the varieties. You can tell the difference, and you can say so. You you could be sure that uh, if it's white truffle, Tuber Magnatum Pico is the most precious variety, most expensive variety available on the market. If you read the white truffle. It's a white truffle variety that only grows in springtime, for example, with a very strong unpleasant flavor, which costs uh, 50 times less than the white truffle. But uh, sometimes, in, especially abroad, uh, we say there's a, yeah, the, the, the Italian name is Bianchetto and not Bianco, not white. But uh, this Difference is lost in translation, so they call it white, as the white albatrossal, and and they mix uh, other other varieties. It's very important to read read the label. Veronica, yes, is, is is the area where the truffles grow? Is it is it in hills or mountains? Uh, Excuse thing, me. Are they, are, they, are you getting truffles? From a mountainous hilly area. Ah, okay. Yes, our landscape is made up of hills. 
Um, so we are in south of Piemonte. Uh, our landscape is uh, like uh, uh, hills where we have uh, different cultivations. We have some woodlands where we get the truffles. We have the vineyards uh, mainly and the hazelnut groves because Piemonte is also famous for the hazelnut uh, uh, products. I, re- I remember being very surprised when when we drove into the city of Alba. Mm-hmm. It, it was the first Italian city I had driven into that, that wasn't on top of a hill. <laughs> uh, yes. So Alba, it's not. It's in a flat region surrounded by the hills. But Alba is not really on the hills. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yes. no, it was, and it then was, it was interesting. We we stayed in a. A really nice hotel, almost <coughs> exactly right, right in the middle of the little town of Alba. Yes, yes. It was recommended. It was recommended to us by a friend here in Pittsburgh, who is a wine dealer. I see. I see. Not, not, a, not a truffle producer at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but he 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 bought that wonderful cheese that I tried to track yeah, down in Alba. Our region yeah. is also famous for, famous for the cheese, yes. Was, yeah. was, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> now, um, he, was, he was called Stan the Wine Man. Stan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Stan? Stan the Wine Man? No. <laughs> um, he, he, he traveled and he worked with a lot of wineries and actually helped develop um, and blend wines and so forth. Um, Thank you. Now you you make an enormous array of products. Yes. Um, just give us some ideas, and I'm particularly interested. I mean, for years now we've been getting truffle oil, truffle shavings, truffle salt, but you have many more products from truffles. Yeah. Could you just so we- run by some for for our listeners? So we have more than uh, 150 recipes, and we produce from the appetite, truffle appetizers uh, to, to the pasta, to the ready risotto with truffles, and a large variety of truffle condiments like uh, extra virgin olive oil with white truffle, uh, truffle salt, truffle butter, and, uh, and truffle sauces in general. Um, so... Our range is made up of different products, um, mainly for the retail market. So we are in the best gourmet stores, worldwide department stores, cheese shops, daily groceries. And then we have also a range for the food service. So we supply also top restaurants worldwide and also hotels. You know, I love this pesto powder with truffles. Yeah. This is one of the most uh, um, innovative products we have created recently because we have the freeze-drying process in our company. So we have this specific machine that takes out all moisture from the ingredients, from the fresh ingredients. In the case of the pesto, we prepare the pesto as a traditional recipe, as you, as you know. So fresh basil from Genova, parmigiano-reggiano, pecorino romano, pine seeds and garlic. And we freeze-dried, so we take out all moisture without uh, changing the color and the, and the flavor of the raw material. So our pesto powder, it's really fresh and uh, with a green color as, as the, the fresh pesto, pesto. 
sauce. In this case, uh, we transform it into a powder because we want uh, the, so the consumer to use the, the powder as a spice. So you can put it on top of your burrata, mozzarella cheese, on the pasta, on a slice oh, of pizza, well. for example, and also fish fillet. And it gives a touch of taste uh, or flavor to your dish. Same process is applied to the, the uh, to the truffle, so we freeze-dried uh, white or black truffle, and in this case, uh, it was done because we need to preserve it for long. So the freeze-dried ingredients last, we can say forever, so for for years, because they don't do not have any any water inside. And these specific products have been created in cooperation with the European State Space Agency. We uh, we cooperate with some missions, and recently we also prepared some food for the astronauts in the last mission uh, of the European Space Agency. Because actually, this was te- this technique was uh, invented by the NASA for the astronauts. You know, um, some of these. Your market for some of these has got to be foreigners because the the people buying products in Piemonte Mm -hmm. um, want the classics. And I don't imagine you sell very much soya sauce flavored with truffles in Piemonte. (laughs) No, actually not in Piemonte because we export to 63 different countries worldwide and the soya sauce with truffle was specifically made for the Japanese market because we, in Japan they love truffles, so we supply uh, restaurants mainly uh, with the fresh truffles and also with truffle uh, preserves and, and specialties. But then we found with the truffle salt and also with the soya sauce with truffle, two different products that were able also to enter a little bit more in the Japanese kitchen. And so we are now also able to supply not only Italian restaurants abroad, but also, for example, Japanese restaurants in Tokyo by combining the truffle with raw materials that uh, they they use uh, like daily. Well, Peter's been um, very pleased with the uh, the truffle honey. I mean, I, he puts it on his granola in the morning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd go that far. Actually, it was born as a, a condiment or a sauce to go with cheese, specifically hard cheeses like Parmigiano Reggiano, Pecorino Romano. You know, I can see that, but on 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 the granola, I'm not so sure. But 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 it's also possible oh. to combine them with granola. You can have it also on uh, uh, yes on some sweets, for example, or you can also glaze with the truffle honey your your uh, duck meat, for example. Uh, oh, that'd be good. Into, yeah, into it's the salad also. Very, I have let, let me let me speak because I'm the one who eats it in our house. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and the truffle truffle honey with. A little flavor, little extra flavor, extra kick. He's very good on bananas. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's possible. It's possible to combine. Would you believe ways. that? <laughs> <laughs> now, no, no. you have truffle chips. I mean, I've never seen a truffle chip. We didn't get any of those, I don't think. But are they just dried truffles? 
slices? Well, tr- truffle chips are quite recent as a product because we wanted to offer also a product in the, into the snack uh, market. Yeah. And so we decided to go for a very large potato chips, thick, uh, quite uh, thick in, because we like this kind of texture. They are cooked in uh, sunflower and olive oil. And then we sprinkle over the, the chips after the frying process, the freeze-dried uh, truffle and a little bit of salt. So they are not cooking truffle oil. Uh, we put real truffle into, the, into this product as well. No, oh, see, I, yeah, I need to get some of those. I mean, I can't yeah. even imagine this. <laughs> I was sounds like heaven. <laughs> oh, hold, hold on a minute. Let me, let, me, let me say something else. Okay. One of the areas that we were in, another town when we were in Italy, was the town of Aqua, Aqualania. Aqualania. Yes. And, and Aqualania seemed to have a specialty in truffles and mushrooms together, preserved in jars. Sh- yes, of course we share with other um, region in Italy, the same tradition. So uh, also Aqualagna is a, is a place for truffle and mushroom uh, recipes in central Italy. And um, so Marche region, Umbria region and Tuscany region, they share with us in Piemonte the same uh, tradition around truffle. Yeah, the, the owner of, of the truffle business that we visited sent sent us away after after he had bought his lunch, sent us away with several jars of truffle mm-hmm. and mushrooms combined. Sure, and, sure. And we, we, we brought them back to the United States, and then, and then we ate them. <laughs> <laughs> what a good idea. Yes, Why? yes, and they are, specifically the central Italy is very famous for the black truffle they have. Right. Yeah, well, are you going to tell your famous um, uh, Signor Rossini story? <laughs> <laughs> That's very complicated. There were, <laughs> too complicated. There were, there, were, there were two brothers, and we went, We had an appointment with one, and it turned out it was the wrong one. Yeah, well, we didn't, and they wouldn't admit it. They, <laughs> the one stole from the other brother. <laughs> so this, so this, it, was this, it was the story of the wrong Signor Marini. Yeah, Marini. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know him, yes. You, you know him, okay. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, know Senor Yeah, we know uh, truffle business is very small, if you want, so it's families uh, related, and so we know each other, uh, yes. From he's, a, he's a bit North to South. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a funny episode, because we didn't know until we got back to where we were staying that we didn't keep our appointment with the right uh, truffle dealer. But we went instead by to his brother, and the brother wouldn't let on that he wasn't the right one. <laughs> so he got the interview recorded. <laughs> so I imagine it can, it can be a very cutthroat business, this truffle business. In fact, we know one producer in um, – he's actually an importer um, of, of truffle products in the States who spend time in jail, in prison. For, for some of his activities having to do with his business, which is truffles. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm leading up to something is uh, I think that I, Mar, um, Tartuflange, um, 
the products I, I love, and I admire your your business as a business model because you've done so much, and and you handle everything with such grace, and the marketing is is brilliant. So I think you deserve all the credit you can get as a, as a business too. Um, but back to the products, how do people lay hands on your product? Well, um, we are known for the innovation, so every time, every year, people expect from us something new. <laughs> so, to so, so some way to pre- so to have truffles combined with uh, other ingredients or new techniques of preserving the truffles that we have done for the uh, freeze drying uh, process, for example, which was the innovation in the in the truffle world because the best so the the old ways of Preserving the truffles is simply to put the truffle in a jar and sterilize it, so cook it. Yeah. Like with specific technique, you lose a lot of flavor and texture. Exactly. Uh, with, with the truff, with the freeze drying process, you really keep the characteristic features, so the the flavor and the and the taste unchanged, like a fresh truffle. But yes. you can preserve for longer. So truffle shelf uh-huh. life is very short uh, as a fresh product. It's like uh, one week, ten days, no more. Wow. Now, it, it, customers, how do they purchase your product? Well, uh, it's possible to find our product in the gourmet um, stores. Uh, I can for example, here in New York at Italy, but not only in New oh, York, yeah. they really have different locations uh, in the States, and uh, grocery stores, cheese stores. We import in um, in U.S. our products ourselves, so we have a, a, a division. Um, we import, as a Pelt Flange USA, our product in New Jersey. We have a stock, and then we supply all different local Distributors in the different states. Is uh, it on your website? It's, yes, it's it, possible. The information contacts on the website. Yes. Okay, and, and can you order then, directly from the website? And then, of course, you can buy online. Yes. Okay, I'm going to spell this, listeners, just so you know. It's of course the website www, and the company is spelled T A R T U. F-L-A-N-G-H-E, which is hard to say, and it's one word, dot U-S. Okay. Correct. Correct. Sounds great. Veronica, you you made my day. I really enjoyed talking to you and certainly think your product is superior. And I hope you enjoy the fancy food show. It's it's quite a riot. We remember our most favorite year was uh, when... The um, World Cup finals was taking place, and it was between France and Italy. And you couldn't find anybody at any booth <laughs> with Italian I, products. I, you know, I remember, or, yes. You remember that? They had that big television screen. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. And you'd go and you'd find somebody's cell phone. You could leave a message, and that was all. And then uh, the the next day, the Italians were all so happy and, and excited. Exactly. <laughs> but 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 um, oh, uh, Ariane Dagan, um, in her French background, she mm-hmm. looked beat. She really did not look very good. 
<laughs> rough night. <laughs> Anyhow, well, I, I wish you lots of fun in, in New York, and um, hopefully so we should be getting back to normal. And we, we usually are at Italy several times, or at least twice a year. And yes, I think we, we need to start in, doing uh, that again. In Italy, in Piemonte, whenever you have time, uh, we would like to show you our premises and travel woodlands, everything. That and would be thank fun. Thank you for having us. Thank you for inviting us. enjoyed it thoroughly, Veronica. Thank you. And hello to Paolo. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As they say, that's another wrap. Come back next week, same time, same everything. And until then, we're going to say bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.